You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to Real Vision. It's Friday, December 18, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by our founder and CEO, Rao Pell. But first, with the day's stories, Hallie Drasnan. Hey, Ash. I'm recording this ahead of Friday's close, which we expect to be bananas, one of the busiest trading days of the year. The market is expected to experience massive volume on Friday with Tesla's historic entry into the S&P 500. Tesla's inclusion coincides with the quarterly rebalancing of the S&P 500 and quadruple witching, which is when stock and index options and futures all expire on the same day. With all of this activity, there's the heightened possibility of price dislocation at the close. The new index with Tesla in it begins trading on Monday, but all the trading action happens at the close on Friday. Tesla will be the seventh largest stock on the index. This is expected to be the largest rebalancing of the S&P 500 in history. Meanwhile, Bitcoin is surging to all-time highs, and the most prominent cryptocurrency exchange has signaled its intent to go public. Coinbase has been the subject of IPO speculation for months, but the timing coming just one day after Bitcoin broke 20000 for the first time ever cannot be ignored. It rocketed above 23000 on Thursday. The major exchange is positioning itself as Wall Street's most accessible bet yet on crypto. In October 2018, Coinbase was valued at $8 billion. Given the recent rally in Bitcoin today, Coinbase's current valuation is expected to be significantly higher. Coinbase was launched in 2012, and today more than 35 million people in over 100 countries use Coinbase. It has raised more than $500 million from backers like Tiger Global Management, Andreessen Horowitz, Y Combinator, and Greylock Partners. It is, of course, a major hub for retail Bitcoin trading and a gateway for alternative cryptocurrencies. Its institutional business is growing fast. Coinbase said it filed confidentially with the SEC. That's the first formal step on the long road to its IPO. It's unclear whether Coinbase is looking to go public via IPO in a traditional way or a direct listing. We won't know more until about three weeks before its roadshow when it tries to woo more potential investors. Coinbase has been hit by questions, though, in recent months over its management practices and its treatment of minority employees. In late 2018 and early 2019, the company experienced a mass departure of about 15 Black employees. At least 11 of them had informed the HR department or their managers of discriminatory treatment. Coinbase going public, though, will be a huge event for the industry without a doubt. Back to you, Ash. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Thanks, Ellie. Welcome, Ralph. Good to be here as ever. It's been a few weeks actually since I've been on it. I don't know what's been going on, but somewhere in this space time continuum, I've not managed to do it. <laughs> well, it's great to have you back. It's always good to be back. I tell you, I've been talking to some people about how weird this world this year has been, um, you know, for all the obvious reasons. But just thinking it through, it was like a, there was a very clear January, February, March, April, May, June. And then it went December. And it was like everything else was one month. It's kind of been the weirdest situation. And I mean, I just haven't even noticed it's suddenly Christmas. And, you know, suddenly I was just filming the uh, what we call the Queen's speech, the annual speech that I give because the Queen in the UK gives one. And everybody at Real Vision finds it hilarious to call it the Queen's speech, um, where I'm wearing a Christmas hat sitting on the beach. I just felt really odd. I didn't realize it's Christmas. Well, that's what happens when everyone works 14 hours a day. Exactly. And, and are in the same room all day. I mean, yeah, people are going to be shocked because I'm going to go back to Grand Cayman at some point once my house is finished over there. Um, and I'll have a different backdrop. It'll be, you know, the earth will shift on its axis when they can't see the dogs wandering around in the pool table. Yeah, I'm moving uh, across the hall in uh, in two weeks and I'm, I'm going to be shocked to actually be outside of this space. I don't know how I'm going to cope <laughs> with that. New walls to look at. And we'll all have a different backdrop. We won't. Will we see the filing cabinet still? We're working on it. <laughs> We're working on it. It's part of the reason, Rob. I'm going to have a dedicated. It's like you're in a prison. Cell. It's like you're in a prison cell there, but with a filing cabinet, a prison cell for an accountant. <laughs> yes, yes, very well said, um, Ral. Talking of backdrops, we actually delayed taping this show today here uh, by ten minutes because uh, today, interesting day, or queued up as an interesting day at least. Tesla being added to the S and P five hundred, the quarterly rebalancing, quadruple witching, kind of a dull event at the end of the day here. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tesla moved. I don't know, ten percent peak to trough, or maybe a little bit more, uh, yeah. which. Pretty volatile stocks, actually not that much. The S&P was under pressure all day as the indexes were selling equities and then squeezed at the end of the day. It's pretty common price action, but it was a huge inclusion event. And yeah. often it spills over to next week. So we might see some more volatility next week. But, um, you know, in my old days on Wall Street, these index inclusions, people would make fortunes. There's a whole book written about um, a bunch of guys who did the Nikkei uh, index change. It was a huge index change in Japan. And these guys made their entire lives on one trade. They mm. saw it coming. And I, when I was at Goldman, you know, we, we used to have a whole group of people who just did these trades yeah. because they were so profitable because, you know, certain things always have to happen. They have to sell the index stocks. They have to buy the new constituents. Then usually they reverse afterwards. Um, it's, it's often a bit of fun, but today, yeah, a bit boring. Kind of a non-event event, but we were prepared because, as you said, there can be the possibility of potential uh, sort of disorderly trading, price dislocations, uh, all kinds of potential events that, as it turns out, didn't happen. Two noteworthy statistics on the TSLA inclusion. First, it's the largest stock by market cap to ever join the S&P. In other words, at the market cap level it's at now, uh, the highest ever valuation to join. And second, it's going to be the seventh largest stock by market cap when it is added, which it has been. And normally what happens is they fall after inclusion. 
because almost all buying has happened and that bid goes. So it's very common that it falls for a significant period afterwards. Who knows? It's Tesla. Who knows what it does? What's fascinating with this whole Tesla story, because I followed it from afar and there was two very passionate groups, those driven by Elon Musk's mission and said, listen, it's not easy to do what he's doing. He's going to cut corners. And yeah, there may have been accounting corners. There's all sorts of corners that were cut. Um, but they were like, but look what he's actually doing. Uh, and then there was the other group who were just focused on all the shenanigans going on and whether the cars were good enough quality. But cut to the being the largest ever stock to enter the S&P 500, Elon Musk now being one of the richest people in America. Basically, anything of the negative story of Tesla is now gone because he can raise unlimited capital by the equity market. Um, and so he won in the end. And there's probably a nice book to be written about the story because like a true entrepreneur, he fought for everything to save his company. Now, many say he crossed the line and maybe he did. I don't know. Um, many smart people that I respect say he really crossed many lines. But in the end, he did it. Now, yeah. let's see whether they actually deliver on their promises in creating something much bigger because now he's worth more than virtually all the car companies added together. So the pressure is on him to now actually deliver something at gigantic scale that is meaningful to the world if that Elon Musk narrative is to prevail. Yeah. Rob, well, talking about those statistics, uh, market cap right now, according to the public data, $658 billion on Tesla. I went through the Q3 investors deck, uh, non-GAAP basis, TSLA quotes $874 million in net income. That's X. SBC. This is their favorite number. That's X, the stock-based compensation. A cynic might argue, why else would you want to work at Tesla if it weren't for the stock-based compensation? Perhaps the mission, but I think that's a big part of it. $331 million uh, gap-compliant net income for 3Q 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's a staggering, staggering valuation. This is the world we live in now where people have thrown their hands in the air. I mean, Mike Green did a great piece with you yesterday about indexation. Um, and also, you know, whether we like it or not, divide the equity market by the Fed balance sheet or by the G4 central bank balance sheets, and it's basically a flat line. It's been, it's basically offset a lot of that. So what it's telling us is people are valuing these non-debt equities that have high margins, although Tesla doesn't appear to have a very high margin, but, but you know, potential future high margins even at infinite. They're basically right. saying there is no price anchor in a world where interest rates are zero and they're never going up again. Um, and these guys have very little debt and it's all about cash flow and margin. Ah, who knows? I'm never brave enough to short anything like this. Yeah. Um, we are living in a truly extraordinary world where prices are distorted almost everywhere. Um, and so it becomes very complicated. Yeah. PE trailing 12 month on Tesla. 1,328. Yeah, but, you know, half my life, Amazon's traded at, like, P's of 800. Um, you know, some of these stocks, Salesforce, I mean, they, they trade at crazy numbers. Yeah. But, Christ, they've just grown and grown and grown as businesses still. Um, I don't really understand how the maths work out, but that, that, that's the world we live in right now. Here, here's math that most of us can understand. Uh, it's going to be the seventh largest company in the S&P, or is, I guess, now that it's been included. Uh, the prior 
seventh largest company in the S&P was Berkshire Hathaway, market cap of $520 billion, uh, net income of $30 billion. So divided out PE of 17. Yeah, but this tells you the story of what's going on. It tells you the story of actually what's going on in America. It tells you the story of now the insolvency, uh, the larger narrative is that people will pay anything for these kind of stocks and people yeah. pay nothing for old economy stocks. They just don't care. Now, will that change over time at some point? Possibly. Mike Green argues maybe never. Who knows? But that's also part of this insolvency narrative, which is that yeah. companies that don't need money have done extraordinarily well. Companies that that can get access to capital have done okay, and businesses that get access to no capital have been destroyed. So that is basically the story of the high street. Everything has been destroyed. I mean, a total destruction of it. And anybody who can get access to capital can get as much as they need. It's It's a... It's a shocking world. And the central bankers, to be fair, have been saying and screaming and shouting, but the governments just can't get their act together to fiscally stimulate to the people that it actually matters to. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. And I don't think the Fed went out to say we want to make all the CEOs of the largest companies rich by doing this. They're like, please, please, please fiscally stimulate. Don't leave it to us. Yeah. And, and here we are in this bloody mess. Yeah. And that's why I bring it up, Ralph. I mean, there's no one better than you at taking these data points and then trying to frame a narrative around it and understand what exactly is happening under the surface. What are the unintended consequences and what are the likely potential scenarios that we face going forward? Yeah, I mean, what was interesting is the IMF have been using my exact language, which was quite I was quite taken aback by that. So maybe they're watching the daily briefing, but they used we finished the, the, the liquidation phase, the liquidity phase, um, and now we're entering the insolvency phase, which was my exact wording. Um, and it's true. But the weird thing is, is it doesn't show up on Wall Street. So we've got this sense of people looking at markets saying it's a V-shaped recovery in markets. Everything's fine. Things go to all-time highs. But then you go and speak to a friend that is not involved in this stupid business, and they're like, everything's fucked. Right. You know, how are we going to get back on our feet again? How can I reopen my restaurant? How can I get my my store to operate again? How can I do any of this? And I don't have an answer because this vaccine thing, as I keep saying, takes time to roll out. It's fine. Rupert Murdoch and half the government are getting it because they're over 70 years old. But, you know, really, for the guy who owns the the the, the restaurant around the corner from you, when's this going to stop for him? It's not going to be till June or so. So... It's just it's just not good. Um, and, you know, it's very unclear in the U.S. as to whether the Democrats can take Georgia or not. And if they don't, this is going to drag on for even longer and it's going to be very hard. And I've said this until you're looking crisis in the eye again. Um, you won't be able to do anything. It's only in crisis that you can make big moves. Yeah. Well, how do you think about what the potential range of scenarios for how this plays out? You point to this notion of this very divided, uh, bifurcated world that we see right now, two Americas, two We're worlds. banned from using the word bifurcated because we <laughs> keep using it too much. So, <laughs> I, wish, I wish the world would be banned from bifurcating. True. Very true. <laughs> so, look, I, I see the market is betting on reflation. Everything returns back to normal 
kind of Q1, Q2. I don't believe that. Can the markets continue to do that? Yes. The bond market's not telling us that really. Um, it's not telling us a lot, except there's nothing going on. Um, the crypto market is telling us that we should expect more central bank easing, and I think that's the right call. Um, gold is finally picking up again, and I think should break out to new all-time highs. Silver's breaking out of its wedge pattern. They're telling us the monetary side. Copper has been rising, but there's some weird stuff going on in the copper markets. It doesn't make it that clear as why this is this is happening. So there, there is this reflation bet. I think it's too early. I think it may get have a gut check. Um, and I do think if there is a reflation, then it happens uh, second half of the year. Every recession I've ever followed generally tends to drag on a little bit longer than expected. Um, and normally the central bank actions and the government actions drag on for two or three years afterwards because there's sticky unemployment and stuff like that. And this one, don't forget, um, coincided with this aging population issue as well and a bunch of retirees not being able to get back into the workforce and the labor force participation rate falling. So it's a very complicated situation. I don't think employment recovers. The Fed have gone all in on the employment mandate and said they'll sacrifice the inflation mandate. Do they manage it? I don't know. But we will see some decent year-on-year -year inflation numbers. But generally, inflation falls after every recession and continues to fall for two or three years, which is why central banks keep easing. Yeah. You know, another thing that I wanted to get your view on, uh, equity markets doing what they do, obviously, a series of, uh, of all-time highs this week across the board, NASDAQ Composite, uh, S&P 500, Dow Jones Industrial Average, looking forward uh, to fiscal stimulus, looking forward to a vaccine. But at the same time, and I know you follow these numbers very closely, Raul, current hospitalizations uh, in the United States up to 115,000. Here in New York, we uh, just had the highest numbers since the spring. Yes, and I've been warning and telling and telling about this. This is the underlying thing that the markets don't care about, but it's the thing that's that's destroying the middle of America and the middle of Europe and the middle of everywhere else too. Um, and we have to go through Christmas and New Year and try telling people that they can't go and spend Christmas with their families or go and have a party at New Year. So I, as I've said, the last time I was on the daily briefing, Biden is going to come in at full peak virus and it's going to be shocking. Now, just a little fact for everybody, and I know everyone's going to scream and shout and argue with my with the numbers and whatever, how we should look at it. COVID is about 285,000 deaths in the US so far. My guess is by the time this finishes, we'll be over 400,000. The US lost 418,000 people in World War II. <laughs> That's the magnitude. This will be larger than all the other wars, internal and external, America has ever faced. That's the size of what's just happened. But we, it's only old people, it's only this, it's, you know, oh, the flu season didn't happen this year. No shit did the flu season not happen. Everyone was at home trying to avoid COVID. Um, so look, it's been a really, really big event. And in other countries, there's a lot more pain to come. You know, you got to roll out a vaccine in India, it's going to take forever. And India's just done Diwali, so they're going to have another surge. We've got a massive surge going on in Denmark and Sweden, and some of Europe slowing down again, but we've got to get through Christmas. It's a mess, and, and again, all it's going to leave is slower economic growth. I mean, we saw the retail sales numbers, right? I was pounding the table about this. 
It's like, oh, record Black Friday on uh, online set retail. Yeah, but uh, but bricks and mortar got decimated. So the retail sales numbers were awful. Um, and that shows you the impact this is having on the actual economy. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, Ra, I think that's so right to think about that. And that's that's part of the, the psychology of what happens when markets are rising in rallies, is that you focus on the part of the party uh, that seems most exciting. Uh, you know, when we keep hearing about these declines, and actually we've had some negative prints on unemployment recently, but when you look at the declining rate down from peak of about 3 million for uh, new jobless claims, there's still this massive gap between pre-crisis employment and, and where we are that is today. not going to go away. If people yeah. think employment's going to return back to what it is, they're wildly misguided. We've destroyed whole parts of the economy and we've also changed the business model of other whole parts. You know, if I go back to my youth, uh, you know, I was a young kid, England in the early 80s. You know, we had this very similar problems the US has got now, massive social unrest, anger, left-right politics divide. And what, 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 what was one of the things that was happening is the shipyards got gutted and the coal mining industry got gutted and the steel industry got gutted and the man car manufacturing industry got gutted because the UK wasn't competitive. Uh, and now we're trying to compete with technology. So these there's some structural shifts. We're not going back to the world we were in. That doesn't mean it's a terrible world, but it's a tectonic plate shifting world. And I've talked about this, about, you know, again, the, the, the rules of central banking, fiscal policy, the structure of money, the structure of finance, it's all changing. The world in five years' time will not look anything like the world we live in now. So we've got to the end of the monetary policy experiment. It's going to blend with fiscal. I've talked about this extensively here about the central bank digital currencies, this new potential Bretton Woods format. This is all coming. There's some huge changes to our worlds that we understand as technology continues to eat it all. So I think that the trend rate of growth, once all the dust has settled, will be lower yet again. And the trend rate of growth, the last cycle was probably about one and a half percent. The previous cycle was about two and a half percent. The previous cycle to that was about three and a half percent. We're going to be Japanese style one to you know, zero to one percent. Um, and, you know, that we will get a bit of a boom coming out of the back of this. Of course, we will. But the settling down of the trend rate of growth ain't going to look good. And with an aging population, you've got no way around it uh, with this with this amount of debt. So unless somebody can completely reset that. And I do believe some of the new ideas around direct stimulus, um, behavioral, economic driven um, monetary policy and fiscal policy may be able to do some of this, but I don't know. And I think people who are expecting a prolonged, pernicious increase in inflation are going to be proven wrong yet again. I don't think the economy can structurally even create it. And that, so that leads me into the next thing. If that is our world and equities become at all-time high valuations, 
and you want to invest, let's say you're a millennial or just somebody who's, who wants to put some money at work. You can't put it in the bond market. There's no, no money to be made. Can't put it in the credit markets. No money to be made. Where do you put it? So this is the big question. Now, obviously, I've pounded the table about crypto, and that has been the trade. And I, I still think it will be the single most dominant trade next year. Um, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum. I think Ethereum will probably outperform Bitcoin over that period as well. That is going to be the single most dominant trade. Now for your pension, for your longer term savings, what do you do in this world? Well, the good thing is, is we're being told an answer's coming. One is the IMF, the BIS, everybody, all the central banks saying the dollar's too dominant. As I've said before, the dollar is 25%, US is 25% of world GDP, the dollar is about 80% of world trade. That gap is almost impossible to fill, which leads to this dollar shortage. If not, the US has to run larger and larger deficits over time. Everybody knows this is a problem. Nobody wants, South Africans don't want to have the dollar as the dominant factor in their economy. They, they want their own goods to be the dominant factor in their own productivity, but it's not the case. Same for Australia, same for New Zealand, same for Brazil, same for almost everybody, not for Europeans predominantly. So how do you change that dynamic? And the IMF are talking about this Bretton Woods agreement where they'll probably create some sort of basket. Um, so they're telling us that they want to lower the dominance of the dollar. Nobody says it's not going to be the reserve currency, but just lower this over-reliance on it. So if that is the case, and they're telling you it's coming, and I still think the dollar, I'm not sure the dollar's down and out yet. It's certainly down, and my thesis has been pushed to its very limits, and I'm barely in that trade any longer. But there is a chance that the dollar actually trades sideways in a sloppy range, much like the yen has done for a very long period of time. Anything that involves the dollar not going up, and I'm assuming the dollar does go up for a bit for the first part of the year at least. But after that, what you do is you set off a chain reaction, which is people move further out in the risk curve. If the dollar is weakening, you shift from US-based investments to foreign-based investments. And we're seeing it already. Japan is a beneficiary. So Japan is a lower risk part of the cycle. It's a massive economy. We understand it. But what happens is once the dollar trend establishes, people move further out the risk curve. And that means emerging markets. And I've said this a few times before, is you're going to have a great opportunity to buy emerging markets and go to the beach for 10 or 15 years and print money. So if you look at the chart of the MSCI, um, MSCI Emerging Markets Index, a long monthly chart, it's been creating this huge wedge pattern for the best part of 15 years. It's gone nowhere while the US is at all-time highs. That kind of pattern is the same kind of pattern we had in Bitcoin, smaller time frame. Mm. Those kind of patterns, when they break, are explosively powerful. And I, so I think emerging market dominance is going to be the story of the next decade. Um, and so if people are looking for something to switch their 401k, my sister-in-law dropped me an email yesterday, a list of all these Vanguard funds. I'm like, Christ, I don't know the difference between this one and that one. But that one's an emerging market fund. You're 36 years old, buy it, and don't worry about it for another 10 or 15 years. And you should triple, quadruple it. And then when you go out on the risk curve in emerging markets, where, where do you look? You know, the, the obvious places are, you know, 
the, the closer to the, the the less risky ones would be Korea and Taiwan. They're not really emerging markets, let's face it, but they're they're um, benchmarks as such. Then you start getting into countries that I'm really interested in, like India, where I think there's a huge digital revolution going on and a massive structural change with huge tailwinds in a deflationary world, which means input costs are cheap. I think India is a hell of a story. And then you, you can of travel to India for Real Vision and interviewed a series of, uh, of leaders uh, uh, and people in the business and, uh, and policy communities in India to get that story. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'm a passionate believer. This is one of the best stories in the world. And India keeps going up. And I just did this whole piece uh, recently on the um, on the aftermath event about digital India. Um, it, it is incredibly powerful a story um, with Reliance Geo being at the epicenter of this, plus the digital identification and the uh, UPS payment system and the Aadhaar system and all of these things, India stack. It's unbelievable. And all of the infrastructure they're building. But when you go further out in the risk curve, there's places like Saudi Arabia, super interesting transitional economy, where they're really trying hard to change that. John Burbank was on Real Vision a long time ago saying, this is real, you need to pay attention to this. And I think Saudi's going to be one of the best performing economies. Israel, again, not far out in the risk curve. Israel, phenomenal story going on in Israel. Great investment. And then you can go as far out as Iraq, uh, Iran, where I think will be the best performing stock market for the next 10 years. Um, really? It also happens to be a P of six. And I've spent time in Iran on the ground for investing. I've been investing in Iran. Um, I haven't got any Iranian investments right now. There's a couple of investment funds in London that do it. US investors aren't currently allowed to. My guess is the Biden administration will change that. When you go to Iran, it's staggering. It's like the world stopped in 1982 and everyone kept the streets clean. It's like really weird. Um, but the economy is not an oil and gas economy. It's because they're being shut down from the world, they've got fantastic consumer goods and they sell to the rest of the Middle East and then they've got car companies and they've got everything you imagine, this incredible diaspora of people, um, amazing education system where women are the most educated of all, almost. It's like the highest women in higher edu in, in um, postgraduate education of any country in the world except Norway. I mean... It's not hmm. what people think it is. People, women are repressed in Iran. Yes, there's religious beliefs, but you go to Tehran and who picks you up? A female taxi driver. You go to the stock exchange in Tehran, there are more female brokers than male brokers. So it is not the world everybody thinks it is. Yes, there's a lot of problems. Yes, it's not a great regime. But at a P of six, it's price of bloody nuclear war. That ain't going to happen. It's, you know, Iran has always played a place. So... There's a whole parts out of the risk curve that you'll be able to go to once this trend sets. You don't go too far out first. You maybe use the, the EEM, Emerging Market Index, ETF. And then as the trend establishes itself, much like with cryptocurrencies, you can start with Bitcoin and then eventually you can get into the highly speculative DeFi tokens. Um, but that's the speculative end of the market. With this, Iran would be the more speculative end, but it's super cheap and it's super established as a market. You know, it's got a decent market cap. It trades a decent amount. So that's kind of what I'm getting excited about when I look forwards. What's the other side of all of this is that <clears throat> I'm much more excited about that, that than I am about commodities, the traditional reflationary trade, because I think in an aging population world um, and a technology driven world, the commodity cycles will be less pronounced. Won't mean they won't happen, but are less pronounced.
But these companies, I think the next emerging market trillion dollar company is probably Reliance in India. Hmm. You know, talking of Bitcoin, uh, this quarter, Bitcoin has doubled this quarter up 27% on the week. Yeah, I mean, it's up. I was reading, actually, Remy asked me to read my January think piece from GMI, of which I circulated, quite a few people did it. And I said, this year is going to be the year of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I think Ethereum is going to outperform it. That was my opening thing. Uh, Bitcoin's up 216% and Ethereum's up 397%. I mean, the next best looking around my screens is the NASDAQ at 46 I mean, thank, thanks for playing. Bitcoin is eating the world. Yeah. But even so, that number, 46%, is striking. It's staggering. You know, I don't think anybody, even the wildest, most wild bull, would have said, okay, we're going to start the year with a pandemic that's going to accelerate through the course of the year, slow down economies, cause the, cause the biggest recession the world has seen um, since the Great Depression. And it's going to be global and it's going to decimate everything. And the NASDAQ is going to be up 46%. Yeah. I, I think the odds of that would have been very low. I would love to look back and find out what the option pricing was for the you know, 12,000 calls back then. Or, or in March, for that matter. Well, yeah, or, or in March, for that matter. <clears throat> I, I mean, amazing times. I can't get my head around it. And I don't pretend to, but when I do divide the equity market by the Fed balance sheet or the G4 uh, central bank balance sheets, it just does this since 2008, just goes cyclical. So it's kind of telling you that maybe the money denominator is the key driver here, um, as opposed to the equities themselves. Much like the Venezuelan stock market goes up and up and up because the currency goes down and down and down. But once you look at it in dollar terms, it doesn't look anything like it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. And to your earlier point, we're seeing uh, again on COVID, despite this 46% increase uh, in, in NASDAQ, we are seeing the highest numbers of the year here in December as we're closing this year out. I mean, yeah, it's going to keep going as well, just because we've got to get through Christmas and New Year. I mean, how many people are going home? How many people have actually had the COVID test? You know what? I don't know. It's a mess. It's a total mess. And I feel very, very sorry for businesses um, that are having to deal with this. Because it just doesn't feel fair that Elon Musk is now like the third richest man in America in in a six-month period from going almost bankrupt and everybody else doesn't get that chance. There's something deeply wrong with that. Yeah, it's a tale of two worlds. There are two kinds of people, people who can access the public debt markets and the public equity markets and everyone else. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So, you know, it, it disturbs me. I'm, I'm not comfortable with the whole thing. Um, but it is what it is. You know, our job is not to fight what's going on with our philosophy, which many people fall in the trap. It's not yeah. right. It's not right is valid. It's not right. Therefore, I'll short it. It's not valid. That's the way to the poorhouse. Yeah, plenty of people have gotten hurt on that trade. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So, you know, it, it's, yeah, as I said, I don't like it. Um, it, it makes me feel very odd about it. And I think, you know, we're all looking forward to a bit of a holiday, a bit of a break and a bit of a reset to see if we, I dent chink a glass of champagne and say, here's to a fantastic 2021. I think, I think my toast was 
I just don't want a volatile year. And it wasn't talking about stock markets, it's just like personal. I just, I don't want any volatility. I just want a nice, smooth year. Okay, I got the absolute opposite. I mean, we've had this go on. Real Vision's been unbelievable what we've done in a year. I mean, staggering. I never thought we'd get this much done from the membership tiers to the crypto launch to the to the live events with the Festival of Learning, layering in education um, to, you know, revamping some of the member experiences, launching the exchange. I mean, the exchange is mind-blowing. Again, I know we talk about it a bit. You had Weston on. The quality of what people are writing on the exchange, the exchange of ideas, the hive mind, is brilliant. I mean, they're making their own videos, interviewing each other. There's geopolitical experts, trading experts, yeah. medical experts, all on there. Everybody is an expert, and they're starting to realize the exchange is their home. It's yeah. the place to be your expert in what you know to bring value to the community so you can receive value in exchange. It's brilliant. So, yeah. and look, we've still got some clunky UX with it as well, but even around the clunky UX, yeah. uh, it's still phenomenal. So, that's yeah. really exciting to me. Well, it's a tremendous tribute to our members who were able to do that. And we were just fortunate enough to be able to put into a platform to unleash uh, all of that energy and creativity that had always been beneath the surface. Well, because there's nobody, nowhere else for the learning tribe to meet and exchange ideas. But that is what we're building. It's the learning tribe. Everybody who's watching this, they're watching it because they want to learn. And that's what Real Vision really is all about. Our members are all the learning tribe. And if they can learn from each other, as well as from us and our guests, well, then that's special. And if they can teach people and exchange um, expertise, wow. You know, you, you can do a bit of that on Twitter, but it's very restrictive. So yeah. that's really great. The other thing, just so, so people are aware, is that um, finally, after years of begging, the whole search functionality has been redone. <laughs> and it's mind-blowing. It's like super quick. You just start typing in a word and it starts populating videos immediately and it does it properly. It doesn't miss stuff off. Stuff used to drive you mad. That's all gone. So search is amazingly powerful. There's also the um, advanced search that allows you to tailor your searches. It'll also search all the transcripts to show you where they're talking about something yeah. and search any PDF document we've ever featured as well. So you can basically use this as your research station for anything now. That's really powerful and it shows a bit of the direction we're going in which is going to be to help people research learn and develop their ideas either together or on their own and to go down learning journeys so it's a big move to where we're going and there's a lot of work to get done this year the one thing i would urge people who are watching this is is obviously we've launched sharing and referrals we've actually never really paid to acquire a single customer in our lives it's all been word of mouth because people are so passionate. I mean, all the capital we've ever raised as a business has come from our members because there's a lot of relatively well-off people. Um, that's the passion business we are. So if you are passionate about it, share the content, use your power shares. There's the competition for it. And also you get paid if you get referrals. So, you know, if you do passionately believe in Real Vision as much as I do, and I know many of you do because literally hundreds of you have invested in Real Vision, then share away, get the content out there and let people know about it. Because next year, it's not going to be a straightforward year and people need as much information as they can get. And what we do is not news, we do analysis. Yeah. And to that point, next week, several podcast announcements coming as well. 
Well, the first one launched, right? So between two chains with Peter Hans from ARK Invest, uh, ARK Invest um, that's launched. Brilliant. Just listen to the first episode. Uh, that's all about blockchain um, and how blockchain is changing the world from a kind of financial perspective. Uh, really interesting. And your podcast launches next week. Do you want to tell people about that as well? I think I've been told that I wasn't supposed to. But what do you say, Raj? Should we break the news here? Well, I don't know. It depends whether you're ready for it. So it's either going to come out next week or the week after. It's out today. It's out today. It's well, out then we should today. be breaking the news. What's it so, called? And tell us what it's about. It's called Ground Floor Consensus. Uh, and it's a podcast where I sit down uh, with the biggest names in crypto and have this sort of detailed conversational narratives uh, that uh, I've always wanted to have that we can take off platform. The main difference is, you know, here on Real Vision, we focus on the conceptual, the nuts and bolts, the analysis. On this, it's about the journey, it's about the experience, uh, and it's about the philosophy of what's occurring in the crypto space. But it's also about explaining it in terms that people understand it. Yeah, absolutely crucial point. You know, one of the things that I find about the crypto digital asset Bitcoin blockchain space uh, is that we increasingly are talking to each other uh, in a way that doesn't really let other people into the conversation. So we try and make this podcast a jargon free zone, uh, or at least every time a bit of jargon comes up, we explain it. Yeah. And, you know, there's also for those of you who don't, who are not aware, is the Real Vision podcast itself um, is out there. It's huge. It gets 650,000 downloads a month right now uh, and it's growing exponentially and the YouTube channel is growing exponentially. I mean, the whole Real Vision world is growing massively right now. It's, a, it's an extremely exciting time. You know, for me as the CEO, I just live in the bloody future all the time. So I'm just always frustrated with never where I wanted to get to, but there's a lot going on. So um, stay tuned. We're finally arriving at the future, Ralph. No, we're never in the future, mate. <laughs> That's why you're the CEO. <laughs> so I drive myself mad, let alone my wife. Yeah, the only the only present I know now is the dogs are stirring around me saying it's walk time. So it's Friday, it's walk time, and it's the weekend and the sun's shining. So I'm looking forward to a bit of rest. Marvelous. Thanks for joining us, Raoul. Yeah, thanks. And everybody have a great weekend. And if I don't see you again, well, there's another couple of pieces coming for me over the, the next week. But if I don't talk to you personally, have a fantastic holiday period, get some downtime, drink a little too much. Um, enjoy yourselves, laugh far too much, and let's come back to January fresh and ready for action to see what the world's going to throw at us because we're in a very volatile world and there's a lot of opportunity to be had and a lot of risks we need to navigate. Enjoy the weekend, everyone. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.